Well, we don't like talking about money very much, do we? Uh, We Brits don't like talking about money. Um, I think many churches often acknowledge that we sort of have to talk about money from time to time. So we say, right, we'll do it once a year and we'll have a giving Sunday. We'll preach about tithing and we'll ask the treasurer to tell us a bit of an update on how the finances are looking. And uh, we'll just, it's a bit like ripping off a band. It's a bit like going to the dentist. We don't enjoy it very much. We know we've got to do it. But so let's just get it out of the way and then we won't have to think about it for another 12 months. We don't like talking about money very much. But... But Jesus wasn't British. (laughs) So he had no such qualms about talking about money. Jesus actually talked about money all the time. If you read the Gospels, in particular, if you read Luke's Gospel, which is what we're reading at the moment, famously, Luke records a lot of what Jesus taught um, about money and about wealth. I actually once went read through Luke's Gospel with a green pen in my hand, and I put a little pound sign next to any reference that Jesus made to money or wealth or possessions or the poor. And, you know, actually, virtually every page of Luke's Gospel has got something that Jesus said about money. Um, It's actually a miracle in some ways that we've got this far through Luke's Gospel without having talked about money yet. I don't know how we've managed it, other than that we've we've been following the Church of England sort of suggested official readings, which don't actually work systematically through the Bible. In fact, they sort of tend to cleverly skip out some of the more challenging uh, bits of the Bible, uh, presumably to try to make Jesus a little bit more palatable. But I don't know about you, I don't want a sanitised or censored Jesus. I want the real Jesus. And uh, so if we want the real Jesus this morning, uh, we've got him here in Luke chapter 12. They didn't censor this, and I've got a great big pound, green pound sign next to verse 33. Have a little look at what Jesus says in verse 33, where he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide for yourselves purses that will not wear out treasure in heaven. That's challenging stuff, isn't it? So uh, if we want to be faithful to Jesus and we want to uh, come face to face with what he says, we better take him at his word this morning. So we're thinking about money, uh, but we're thinking about money in the light of eternity, Uh, You might have noticed that the reading that we had, which I say, I don't know why the Church of England sort of compilers chose it to span across two sections. If you look down, you can see we read the end of one bit, that do not worry bit. Verse 32 to 34 is the end of one section, talking about money. And then we, we read the start of that next bit, which is entitled watchfulness, all the way down to the bottom of that page, the end of chapter, well, not quite the end of chapter 12. That's all one section where Jesus is teaching about the second coming, the Lord's return. So this is not just, what are we doing with our money? This is, what are we doing with our money in light of the Lord's return? That's really what we're thinking about this morning. I think we should come at it, we've got to do those two things. We've got to come at it in two parts, if you like, under two headings. So I've got two questions, really, to try to tease this open for us this morning, taking these sections in reverse order. So first of all, are we ready? And secondly, are our finances ready? Are we ready and are our finances ready? Those are the questions I think Jesus wants to be asking this morning. First of all, are we ready? Have a look again at that second little section. I think this is really the thrust of Jesus' short parable that was the second part of our reading. Have a look at verse 35. That's the key word, isn't it, in verse 35? Jesus says, be dressed ready for service. And then he tells this short sort of parable. 
uh, about these uh, servants who are ready. In verse 38, he says it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. And then he concludes, having told this little story, verse 40, you should be like these guys. Verse 40, you also must be ready. Ready, ready, ready. Three times, that's what Jesus wants us to be. It's not actually really a parable. In some ways, it's more of a kind of an illustration. It's a little short kind of picture that Jesus gives us that we're to be like these servants. These are the servants in verse 35, in 36, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, waiting for the master to return. Now, this would never happen today. This sort of thing wouldn't happen in the era of mobile phones. Uh, We sort of say, you know, I'll be back by 11. I'll text you when I'm leaving. I'll drop you a missed call, you know, when I'm 10 minutes away, that sort of thing. Um, And uh, so we wouldn't be sort of just waiting, wondering when are they going to get back? Um, We were out on Wednesday. It's my birthday on Wednesday. And uh, Hannah and I went out to the cinema for the first time, um, I think, since we moved to Melksham. We went up to the cinema in Chippenham to watch Top Gun. Has anyone seen Top Gun? Oh, yeah, a few nods. It was good, really good, brilliant. Well recommended, Top Gun. Um, Well, Hannah's mum um, came round to babysit uh, very kindly and looked after Fred and Max for us so we could go out to the cinema. But, I mean, she didn't have to wait up, really, until, you know, three in the morning wondering, when are they going to get back? I mean, we told her. She knew what time the film was finishing and we were going to be back by 11 or something like that. Well, that wasn't the situation these guys were in. They had no idea when their master was returning. Especially um, in the ancient world. He was at a wedding, it says in verse 36, and weddings lasted a lot longer than they do now. Apparently, ancient weddings lasted, and I think they still do in some parts of the world, several days, even possibly up to a week. So here's this master. Um, He's headed off for the wedding, and he says to his servant, see you in a few days, probably next week sometime. Can't tell you exactly when I'm going to be back, whenever I've finished having a good old celebration at the wedding. And the wise servants haven't got a clue when he's coming, but they are ready for when he returns. So verse um, 36, it says, these servants were waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. So, you know, you get the picture, that word immediately. It's kind of almost as though they can hear the crunch of his carriage wheels drawing up on the road outside. They recognise the tap, tap, tap of his footsteps coming up the path. There they are. They spring out of their chairs. Their lamps are already lit. And they're able to, before he's even got to the door knocker, they've flung the door open so that the master can just walk straight through and they're able to say, welcome home. How was the wedding? Let me take your coat. Would you like anything to eat or drink? They're ready for him coming back. That's the picture. So are we like that? Are we like that with the Lord Jesus? Are we expectant for Jesus to return? Are we ready? Will we know what to do when he arrives? You know, or will we spring into action? Or will he actually possibly catch us unawares? Or worse still, will we have nodded off to sleep? I don't know about you. I don't think we think about this very much. I I don't think about this very much. I think if we ask most Christians, most churchgoers, you know, do you actually believe that Jesus is coming back? 
I don't know what most people would say. I don't know what you would say this morning. I hope most people would say, yeah, I guess in theory, I do believe that the Lord Jesus is going to return. At some point, there will be a second coming. But certainly not something we give a lot of headspace to, is it? Yeah, maybe it's just me. I don't really expect it to be any time soon. For one thing, he's been gone far too long, hasn't he? I mean, it's been a long time since Jesus said he was coming back, a very long time. So it's probably, if he's taken this long to get back, probably it's not going to be on our watch. Um, wouldn't you be pretty surprised if he came back this afternoon? You know, if we got back from church today, and there we were just having a nice relaxing Sunday afternoon, and actually, goodness me, 7th of August 2022 turned out to be the date of the second coming. What would you think? I'd be pretty surprised, I think. The fact he's been gone so long means we're not particularly expectant. But look at verse 38. It says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. So that's that's when you're not expecting him. So um, the middle of the night or towards daybreak, literally in the original uh, language, what that means is that literally the second or the third watch of the night. And apparently before they all wore wristwatches, um, they divided the night into four sections, four watches. The first watch was 6 to 9 uh, p.m. The second watch was 9 to midnight. The third watch was midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch of the night was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., when, when it was kind of getting brighter. So by the second watch, it's getting late. It's nearly midnight. And by the third watch, the night is at its darkest. It really, really, really doesn't look like he's coming back in the third watch of the night. It's pretty hard to stay awake at that time. Surely he's not coming back now. Yes, in theory, he could get back at any point. But surely he's taken so long, it's probably not just yet. That's surely what they're thinking. In the third watch of the night, let's just take a little nap if he isn't coming back just yet. And isn't that how most Christians think today? Surely he's not going to come back just now. Let's doze off to sleep. But Jesus says, verse 39, he switches metaphors. He says, understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he wouldn't have let his house be broken into. So he switches metaphors from uh, servants waiting for a returning master to, to residents waiting for an impending burglary. Now, if you, if you know that your house is going to get burgled, it can't be burgled. Hopefully, I don't know how many people in this room have watched Home Alone. Maybe that's just uh, sort of my generation. Some of us, I'm sure, will have watched Home Alone. Even if you haven't, you know what it's about. It's about the kid knows that burglars are coming. And he knows they're coming, and so he's ready. And they can't burgle his house. And that's what Jesus says. He says, be ready, even though it looks as though it's not happening anytime soon. Verse 35, he says, be dressed ready for service. Literally, that means gird up your loins. Can you picture the ancient clothes that they wore? You know, you had to sort of tuck your cloaks into your belt if you wanted to be able to move quickly. Jesus perhaps might have today said, roll up your sleeves, ready for action. Keep your lamps burning, he says, verse 35. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Even when there's darkness all around, even when it looks like everyone else is asleep, which aren't large parts of our world and our church even asleep today, not expecting the master to return. So much of our church seems like it's perhaps gone off the boil, become complacent in our mission, in our witness. 
ineffective in what we're trying to do, compromised possibly in some of our convictions, we're dozing off. But Jesus says, verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Why will it be good for them? Because truly, I tell you, Jesus says, he will dress himself to serve. We'll make them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. What an extraordinary twist. Wouldn't you have thought in Jesus' picture that actually, you know, the servants need to be ready for the master to come back so that they can wait on him. But Jesus says they need to be ready for the master to return so that he can wait on them. He's going to go straight into the kitchen, get his apron on, tell the servants to sit down, put their feet up while he serves them. The son of man, Jesus said, came not to be served, but to serve. He took off his cloak, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples. And when he returns, he will do the same for us. Don't you want him to come back? Don't you want this wonderful master to return so that he is able to then give us all of the kingdom? Look at verse 32. Don't be afraid, Jesus says, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's why Jesus says twice, actually, verse 37, it will be good for those servants. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants who the master finds ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night. So the question is for us, are we ready? But secondly, are our finances ready? What does being ready look like? If Jesus is coming back, there'd be lots of implications, wouldn't there? If Jesus was coming back, if we knew the Lord was coming back this afternoon, or if we knew that the Lord was coming back this time next week, or say next year, say we knew 7th of August 2023 was going to be the date when Jesus was coming back, would we be happy with him arriving to find our finances as they are currently arranged? Or would we want to tweak them a bit? Would we want to do something different with our money if we knew he was coming back? You know, if you know the future, that impacts what you do with your money. I grew up in Cheltenham, which if you know Cheltenham, it's famous for horse racing. And occasionally we went racing. And um, I'm not particularly into horse racing, but I had several friends who, because of where we lived, were very into horse racing. And uh, somebody always thought they had a tip and uh, invariably these tips never came off but one time we went racing and um, this mate had um, uh, a friend of mine had he was going out with a girl whose dad was the presenter of the morning line which was channel four's uh, tv program about horse racing so this guy was into horse racing and he thought he'd hit the jackpot going out with this girl oh it couldn't be anybody better than to go out with the presenter of the morning line daughter anyway so he had this tip And he was telling everybody, you've got to bet, I still remember the name of the horse, Imperial Commander was that wretched horse. Imperial Commander, you've got to bet on Imperial Commander. Oh, it's it's a sure thing. Well, did that horse come in? Of course it didn't. Everybody bet on Imperial Commander and it did not win. But if you think you know what's going to happen, of course you put your money where your mouth is, don't you? If you know what's going to happen... You put your money where your mouth is. In fact, it's illegal if on the stock market, if you know something's going to happen coming up to do with the merger or of a sale of a company or something, and you sell or buy your stocks and shares with that knowledge, it's illegal to be done for insider trading. 
But that's exactly what Jesus says to do. He says, you know the future, and so you must put your money where your mouth is. It makes financial sense if we know that the Lord Jesus is coming back to put our money based on eternal things. Jesus says, verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide for yourselves purses that will not wear out. See, the trouble is that most of the things which we put our money on do wear out. Uh, we, we invest in things which are uh, temporary. Um, there's a thief who can destroy. There's a moth that can, that can eat whatever our investment is. The Old Testament prophet Haggai said, you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And it's an ancient picture, that, isn't it? But we know exactly what that means. We've got money in our pocket. It just disappears. Jesus says, put your money somewhere which will last forever. Treasure in heaven will never fail. It makes financial sense to do so. It makes emotional sense to do so. But Jesus says, verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart goes where your treasure is, and your treasure goes where your heart... I'm not sure which way around it is. It's a bit chicken and egg, isn't it? If you love something, then that's what you spend money on. If you love a person, you spend money on that person. If you love a thing, you spend money on that thing. You, your money goes where your heart is. It's also the other way around, I think... If you spend money on something, that almost makes, you know, the strings are attached to the money. The heartstrings follow where the investment has been. I'm pretty sure, you know, we've been um, asking people the last few weeks whether they might chip in to help us provide some extra space for the Sunday club to be able to meet. I'm pretty sure that those people who've generously contributed to that will care whether or not the Sunday club um, benefits from that and how the Sunday club's going because they've invested in it. Where their treasure is... There your heart will be also. So that's what Jesus says to do. Are we ready? In the light of his return, what are we doing with our money? Well, what are we doing with our money? Uh, If it helps to talk practically for a moment, I mean, what should we do with our money? Should we give to individuals? Jesus says give to the poor here. Do we give straight to individuals? Do we give to charities? Do we give to uh, the church? How much should we give? All of these questions, the New Testament actually leaves up to the discretion of the individual conscience. It never dictates, this is how much you must give. It gives a principle of a tithe of 10% is something good to aim at. For some people, that's too much. For some people, it's very easy to give 10%. Perhaps, given that Jesus says, sell your possessions to give, maybe it expects us to give a little bit more sacrificially. But it never specifies, never gives you an algorithm to work out how much Jesus expects you to give. It leaves that up to you. And it never says where to give. It doesn't say, now you must give to individuals or to charities or to the church. I think, yes, 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 all of the above. Although there's also a principle in the New Testament that giving really often was through and to the local church. The local church was kind of almost the vehicle by which um, charitable giving and the redistribution of money happened in the New Testament times. And I think that's a good principle for us to aim at as well. Um, And I hope that if you consider yourself to be a member of this church, that you give to St. Michael's. And I would love it if we're able as a church, if we're hoping for people to give 10% of their money away, um, that we might, um, we don't currently do this, but I'm hoping that perhaps next financial year, we might be able to get it into our kind of culture that as a church, we give 10% of our income away. And that just becomes this culture of, of giving, of giving, as Jesus says to do, of giving away, providing for ourselves purses that won't wear out and storing up treasure in heaven. If it helps to know what we do as a, as a couple uh, and in leading this church, that's what we aim for. We aim to give 10% of our money. We give uh, some of it to Christian charities, but the majority of it we give to this church because we want to see the church resourced 
ready and able to grow and to be able to introduce people to the Lord Jesus so that they're ready for when he returns, that they can be like these servants who spring up from their chair with their lamps lit and are able to fling open the door and receive him with a warm welcome. That's our prayer, and that's what we want to see happen in St. Michael's. And if you consider yourself to be a member of this church and you would like to do the same, well, have a word with us afterwards. Uh, You may have noticed we don't pass around a bag um, in St. Michael's. That's kind of deliberate. I think it stopped because of COVID, but we haven't brought it back in because really I don't want to see anybody who's perhaps just visiting or perhaps a guest or perhaps not even a Christian and just weighing up what we believe to feel under any obligation or compulsion to give. And there is a plate by the door for people who like to do, do that. But actually, really giving, Jesus isn't talking to everybody. Do you notice who he's talking? This whole thing is addressed not to everybody, but to verse 32. Jesus is talking to his flock. So actually, Jesus' encouragement and his commandment here are actually to those who consider themselves to be followers of the Good Shepherd, who consider themselves to be members of the church family, They're the ones who Jesus is encouraging to sell their possessions and to give to the poor. Does that all feel a little bit overwhelming? Possibly, probably. Maybe we've never really thought that much about giving before. Maybe Jesus' words unvarnished here in Luke chapter 12 are quite challenging this morning. And, but I think that it only makes sense. We'll only be able to give. In fact, we'll be willing to give when we realise how much he has already given to us. Come back to verse 32 where he started. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And when we realise that, when we realise that we've been given everything, that when he returns, verse 37, it will be good for those of us who are waiting because he will serve us throughout all eternity. That enables us to sell our possessions and give in the here and now. So are we ready? And are our finances ready? Two questions for us to go away out into this Sunday afternoon with and ponder perhaps. Let's pray.